0: From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains Live. Up, up, and away. Gas prices are going through the roof. The national average recently hit $4 a gallon, blowing past the previous record in the summer of 2008. It is Hitting us hard in the wallet, folks, and this week we want to find out why and how to fix it. So we sat down with our buddy Joel Griffith, he's a frequent guest here on Heritage Explains, and we get into it. Now we're going to link to some of the resources in the show notes, but if you want to look at this live, we do it on video on YouTube and Facebook. So feel free to click those links as well, they'll be in the show notes too. But for now, I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with Joel and how we can hold the Biden administration accountable to focus on unleashing American energy production and achieving energy freedom to we Americans. OK, come on in, everybody. We know you're out there. We know you're watching. Now, as you get comfortable and as we set up the direction that we are headed for this episode, it's a rainy cold nasty soggy day here in dc joel it is it is gross out man and i think it sets the mood for where we're going with this which of course is the price of gasoline around the united states of america and we know that you are feeling the burden of the sky high gas prices at the pump and with all that's going on in ukraine china all the rhetoric coming out of the white house We wanted to cut through the noise about why gas prices are so high, Joel. But first, welcome everybody to another episode of Heritage Explains Live. I'm Tim Descher, and as I mentioned before, joined by one of my closest pals, my buddy here at the Heritage Foundation, Joel Griffith. Joel, you've been nonstop on this thing, and I'm so glad you took some time for us. Thanks for having me, Tim. There's a
1: lot going on in the world, and unfortunately, a lot of it is... Bad news that we actually are are all personally feeling right now in our pocketbooks.
0: I think that's really an important point to hit on, which is the personal aspect of high gasoline prices. I think I was at the pump uh, last week, and it was four seventy five. It was a premium week. You know, I kind of alternate weeks, and it was you know by the end of it, it was you know seventy you know seventy two dollars to fill up <laughs> the tank. You know, where it was forty seven last year. So this is very real for everybody. And I I wanted to encourage you folks is, is, uh, you know, we want this to be a support group. So if you have an interesting gas price story, if you're feeling it, we want to hear these stories because it makes it real uh, for more people as we continue to tell this story. But first, Joel, we do this job because we care about America. We care about our friends and families. This gas price, like we said, is, is, is impacting us. Now, we heard from the White House, Joel, that this is because of Putin. This is because of what we're seeing recently happening in Ukraine. But I wanted to get with you. Is that correct? Or, or, or just give us a sense for the high price of gas currently.
1: Well, as with all spin, and that's what we see coming out of the White House, there's always a little bit of truth to it. The problem okay. is it's a little bit of truth with a lot of distorted distortions and lies. So let's back up a bit. If you go back to Inauguration Day, Uh, in 2021, and compare gas prices on Inauguration Day 2021 with one year later, which was before Putin engaged in his criminal invasion of Ukraine, gas prices actually increased by about 50% during that year period. And gas prices actually, to be fair, were increasing even before Biden came into office. And that was not President Trump's fault. President Trump did a lot of good in the energy sector. But what we've seen with gas over the last year and a half, Similar to other parts of the economy, we are re- we're actually living through the hangover right now of all the nonsense COVID hysteria, wow. COVID restrictions, COVID shutdowns that we endured in the United States and across the world, and that's in large part why we have seen energy prices more than double over the past Wait, year and a half. so
0: I mean, I mean, we've had you on to talk about the increased price of turkey, the increased well. price of of <laughs> goods on on the short uh, store shelves, and now we're talking about the price of gasoline. Uh, I'm kind of beginning to think that maybe lockdowns have a very serious impact on our bottom line as a nation.
1: When it comes to to gas and oil prices, uh, oil production in particular, this is very sensitive to supply and demand. And usually producers and shippers, refiners, they're able to predict what demand is going to be from quarter to quarter. What they didn't anticipate was for the first time in our nation's history, we actually saw business operations criminalized. This is one of these things that businesses aren't ready to adjust for because it's right. never happened before right and we're paying the consequences for that now because think back just a few months ago i know for most of our listeners thankfully there are parts of the country that reopened long ago yeah. but in places like new york chicago la there were these sporadic shutdowns yes. reopenings changes in the rules and producers have had a very difficult time keeping up with this and that's why even though our economy now is about as large as it was two years ago before the shutdowns, oil production is actually down about 8% or so uh, here in this country.
0: Okay, so we're gonna get into oil production. We're gonna talk more about that because I know that there's more that we can do. Um, But I wanna go into sort of differentiate between long-term and short-term. We hear, you know, okay, this is because of uh, COVID. I mean, that was two years ago when we shut down initially. We are over two years now of shutting down. Uh, so that's almost a long-term impact. We're feeling that yes. kind of a thing. We want to talk about um, solutions here. We want to talk about, you know, what can we do yeah. in this? And I think that we need to differentiate between the short-term and the long-term solutions. So if you could, get into some of the short-term at first, and then we can talk about some of the long-term solutions to fixing this, this issue.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, the, the long-term solution to these high energy prices yeah. is to focus on supply. Yeah. And that's actually what we were doing over the past 10 years plus. We exploded in our production uh, here in the United States, thanks to natural gas fracking and oil development. And we started to see the fruits of that during the tail end of President Trump's administration. Mm. In 2020 and 2021, we became a net oil and oil products exporter for the first time since 1949. And unfortunately, this year and next year, we're actually projected to be, once again... Net importers, not as bad as it once was, but still a step backwards from where we were before. So we need to focus on long term. How do we have more supply? Mm-hmm. How do we have hundreds of years worth of reserves here in this That's country? Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, from day one, this administration has declared war on fossil fuel production. Yeah. Day one, President shut down the Keystone X Oil pipeline, which would have helped us in the future. And in the first month, President Biden made it very clear that he was going to try to freeze new leases and new drilling on federal lands. That's not the way to help us long term. No, It actually guarantees that longer term we're going to be less energy secure. And that's not just an issue for our own country. Yeah. This is a big problem for our allies overseas before that would much rather rely on us for natural gas and oil rather than Russia, yeah. as they've been doing in recent years.
0: And there's a lot of different talk about how we're going to do this, uh, you know, we're going to lower, lower prices in the long term by, or, or short term, Biden says by, you know, releasing from the strategic <laughs> oil reserve or, or doing things like that. I'm curious, and, 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 by the way, folks, type your questions in for Joel. He is poised to answer energy questions, all questions about the economy. Joel has been covering these issues uh, ad nauseum for, for a few years here at the Heritage Foundation, and he is the one that's going to provide clarity for us. So please get your questions in if you want. But Joel, tell us about this. You know, uh, these temporary. Quote unquote temporary solutions uh, to high gas prices.
1: Well, if we go back a few weeks to the President's. (laughs) And is there such a thing? I laugh because it's. temporary. Well, (laughs) and President Biden stated the Union address. He talked about his next big plan, right. and that was to release 30 million barrels of oil from the strategic oil reserves. Now, we accumulate oil in those reserves in case our supply dries up, in case, that, God forbid, there's an attack on our supply, supply lines. This is a way for us to temporarily stave off disaster. Yeah. So he made a big show of this 30 million barrels, and that sounds like a lot of oil, and it is a lot of oil. But what he yeah. didn't tell us is that each and every day in our country, We consume 19 million barrels of oil. So what he was saying, in effect, was we're going to go ahead and release 36 hours worth of oil into the marketplace as if that's going to actually help prices in. And the funny thing is, oil actually did come down a few, I think a dollar or two a barrel. And they were doing a victory lap. And, of course, that was about a week before prices went up 30 percent. Yeah. Bottom line, releasing oil from the strategic oil reserves does almost nothing even short term and does positively nothing longer term. It's laughable for him to do that while at the same time continuing to put a freeze on new oil production on federal lands.
0: Taking your questions live with Joel Griffith here. We It uh, looks like we got some uh, viewers watching in Texas. Well, that's an important state for energy production, Joel. We've, we've covered that uh, quite a bit here. Um, all over the country watching, thank you so much for being here. It's so good to bring you this discussion on gas prices. Now, let me ask you something about this in terms of domestic oil prices production you mentioned we have years and years and years worth of worth of uh, potential potentially captured energy that we can get from our land and in a relatively clean way as well talk more about domestic oil production what that means for gas prices uh, for us uh,
1: well Over time, we have seen our production increase substantially, and we hit record levels just a few years ago, and it collapsed during COVID as we had the shutdowns. It's been ramping back up, but that has meant that over the last several years, we got used to gas being $1.50, $2 a gallon, it resulted in a very real quality of life increase for American families. right? If you're, yeah. you are got your minivan and you're driving your kids to and from practice and to and from work, when you see gas prices double, that's costing you $2,000 plus extra per year. That's yeah. a very real squeeze on families. But yeah. more than just the impact it has on our gas prices, our boom in natural gas production also drove down costs in the manufacturing sector manufacturing energy costs are a big component of what it takes to produce even a small factory can go th- it can have a million dollars a year in energy costs to produce so when we're able to drive down Industrial electricity prices through natural gas production mm. that made us more competitive It's part of the reason why uh, right before COVID we actually were at near uh, all time highs in manufacturing yeah. output. So it's important not just to heating our homes, cooling our homes, and driving our vehicles. This is important to actually making us more competitive globally in manufacturing.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to hit a little bit more on uh, the Biden administration here. We we get to be in, in a, an adversarial role. And by adversarial, I mean we get to counter a narrative here. And there's a narrative out there that we can lower gas prices by just driving an electric vehicle. (laughs) If we just got in, some officials have said that. If you just drove an electric vehicle, you wouldn't have to worry about the price of uh, gas at the pump. I want you to counter that narrative. I want you to speak directly to the Biden administration and people out there that are wondering, you know, is it worth it? Is it, po- is it possible that that could be true? Speak to that.
1: Uh, well, it is true that electric vehicles—you um, don't drive them by pumping the gas tank full of um, gasoline or diesel. Yeah. Uh, but and this is common sense, but the Biden administration completely it refuses to acknowledge this. You have a battery. You have to charge the battery. That energy is produced somewhere. Some of that energy in this country is produced from coal. So in effect, you have your coal-powered electric vehicle. Other times, it's powered by nuclear. Um, But whatever that energy source is, it costs something to produce that electricity. Mm. And what the Biden administration has promised as it pushes forward its own version of the Green New Deal is that we are going to be forced to obtain our electricity sources from more expensive forms of energy. Mm. And right now, solar, wind, wind turbines – this all costs more right now. If you take away the subsidies, yeah. it costs more than what it would cost if we had a competent regulatory structure for nuclear yeah. and natural gas. Um, so that's what they're doing there. If, they're for- if they force us into driving electric vehicles, yeah. that means that we're going to actually pay more, not just to yeah. buy the vehicle, but also to run that vehicle because you get that energy from somewhere. And they want us to get it from these more expensive, renewable, green energy sources.
0: And, of course, if you say, well, you get a $12,000 tax credit to buy that car, <laughs> wow. who pays for that? Well, you know, well, you just I print pay. it. What, what I, could go just, wrong by printing it? We could just print the money. That's right. Have we tried and that? Nothing. Have we tried it before? <laughs> I don't know if we've it's ever a, tried that, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. But we have uh, a comment on YouTube, and I think this really gets into an issue that you're poised to handle as well, which is uh, we must restructure our government. Our Sending our money to other countries is out of hand. And I think what they're alluding to here is the fact that if we don't produce here... We're buying from elsewhere. And a lot of that time, we're buying from people who we may not have the best relationship with. And I think that that is a crucial point to point out here.
1: Well, over the years, we've benefited from engaging in freer trade with countries, both with um, Canada, Mexico. We've actually benefited, too, actually from trade with with China. And a lot of times when we see politicians talk about how we'd be doing so much better off if we weren't engaged in trade – they're acknowledging that families are feeling pressure right now, hmm. but once they're putting blame on businesses. They're putting blame on trade, and they're refusing to acknowledge that big part of our problem in this country now has been the decisions that this Congress and prior Congresses have made to spend money that we don't have. Wow. And it's been growing over time. Hmm. We have nearly $100,000 in borrowed money per person in this country. And this is a big part of why we are suffering right now. And over the last two years, all the printing, all the spending that's made us suffer even more. And you see a lot of these folks in D.C. that are in elected office, they're trying to put the blame elsewhere. They're acknowledging we're hurting, but they're blaming someone else.
0: Yeah. Speak directly to the Biden administration right now. Uh, You're advising President Biden, and he said we need the best path forward to lower prices at the pump. What would be some of your first bits to give him?
1: Say, President Biden, we need to unleash our energy sector here at home. We know what we're capable of. It's thanks in large part to our energy sector that the situation in Europe is not worse right now Hmm. because Germany... And other countries in Europe are, have about doubled their imports of American energy. Wow. And that's wonderful. It's actually it's helped our businesses here, yeah. but it's actually helped them be less dependent on Russia in a time of crisis. We need to unleash those sources. And when you have an administration, you have people in the administration that are talking about their goal in the medium to long term of putting out a business, yeah. entire sectors, oil production, coal, even natural gas, that tells these businesses that they should avoid making long-term investments. And these long-term investments are necessary, refineries, pipelines, drilling, exploration. Companies don't have the assurance right now that they're even going to be allowed to operate longer term. Hmm. So that should be step one. Right. Unleash your unleash energy sector. That's,
0: that's great. And, and we have a, um, a user uh, on Facebook, unnamed. Feel free to name yourself if you want to or where you're from, where you're, where you're writing in from. Uh, we love to hear that. Uh, but, but I think this is a really crucial question for the time that we are in right now. And it's important to ask it. Is there a way to save money, be energy independent, and conserve the environment at the same time?
1: Absolutely. In fact, all of those three things go together. Yeah. If you look at um, the EPA tracks the pollutants in our atmosphere. Our air right now is uh, the cleanest it's been in generations, hmm. and that's dis- not just despite of the fact that we're producing more natural gas and these energy sources. It's because these energy sources have actually become cleaner over time, and we become more efficient. Yeah. So. These things go together. And when you see the radical left talking about the need to put us into a net zero emissions, fully renewable energy society, what they're also not telling us is that even if all the climate projections coming out of the United Nations are correct, and we could talk about those models and how problematic they are, but let's just take it for granted these models are accurate. Um, If we were to go fully net zero in this country, consume no fossil fuels, it would lower the global temperature by 0.2 degrees Celsius. And that's if all those models, which are quite hysterical sometimes, that's if those models are actually correct. Yeah. So we have to ask ourselves so what is the mission? If, if the end goal is not really to save our planet from extinction, what's the mission here? Well, there's a lot of money to be made by a lot of biz- some businesses, and there's a lot of power to be had. And let's not underestimate the lust for power that some people have, and there's going to be a lot of people that acquire a lot of power yeah. if we go ahead and, and uh, transition away from fossil fuels to these green energy.
0: That could have been a very damn it, dangerous question, but you handled it so well, Joel. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to thank you for that. It was very, very good. We got a, a question coming in from Sani. Uh, there, uh, there's, well, actually, there's a comment, and this is really, really crucial. Uh, there's no way that the average American can afford an electric car, let alone people that are poverty level. And that goes to uh, when we pay tax credits to help subsidize yeah. those cars, uh, people that could never get away with driving an electric car that have to drive maybe a, you know, 200 miles there to and from work, they subsidize wealthy people who can qualify for that and can use an electric car for work. And I think that there's a little bit of uh, perverse incentive there. Oh, they're
1: absolutely – especially these vehicles are costing seventy, seventy-five thousand dollars $75,000. We're, in yeah. effect, subsidizing the wealthy. I'm all for being rich, but let's not subsidize um, those right. decisions. And something else on these electric vehicle issues – There's so many rare earth minerals that go into production of these vehicles, the the electronics, the the batteries. We Uh, have, in effect, given China a lot more leverage because at the same time that we're telling our minds that they can't operate because of our environmental restrictions, we're going ahead and importing all these rare earths from China to go into these batteries. And these politicians on the left talking about how this can make us less dependent on these fuel sources – they're actually making us more dependent on a totalitarian
0: regime in mm. Beijing. Wow. Well, we've got some, some great comments coming in. I think this one you're going to really resonate with, Joel, because I think that you've been canceled several times in life uh, by by, <laughs> by multiple services. It says, wow, they're actually telling the truth instead of blaming Russia. YouTube is going to ban you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let, let, let's
1: be clear. What what Putin is doing. That was doing, a good one. That was
0: from Kennedy. Well, yeah. what what president,
1: what what uh, Putin is doing is, is wrong. It's criminal. It's a violation of international law. It's, it's evil. Um, mm. And it has had an impact on these prices short-term. We saw, after that invasion, we saw prices jump 25% in a matter of days, mm. and now we've actually seen those prices come back down about 20%. But it, mm. it, actually, it does have a real impact. But To put all the blame or even the majority of the blame for these high prices on Putin, that's just simply that spin. We know these prices we covered earlier. These prices were increasing months before, over a year before this invasion ever happened. And to see the administration putting the blame for this on Putin and Putin's price hikes, that's being dishonest with the American people. We can acknowledge that Putin is doing wrong. We can acknowledge that it's having an impact on these prices without shirking our responsibility to be honest to the American people.
0: Yeah. Uh, Judith on Facebook, if everyone had an electric car, what would happen to them if we had a major power grid failure? (laughs) That's a very good question.
1: It's it's something to think about. We should ask our friends in Texas about that because Texas is a great state, but Texas has a lot of green energy cronyism. Despite it being a great state, and when we saw those blackouts um, during the um, the cold wave, yeah, when the a year uh, ago. the fans
0: froze, yeah. yeah, the turbines froze, yeah, yeah, you weren't able
1: to charge your uh, your Teslas either during that time.
0: Yep. Question, uh, YouTube. If we had a perfect solution, could we expect gas prices to return to how they were, or is that wishful thinking? If so, how long is going to take to get back to normal, Joel? I mean, this that's a serious. This goes yeah. to the long term, short term thing.
1: It, it really comes down to short term supply, long term supply. Yeah. Our producers uh, need to know that our government here and abroad, that yeah. they're not going to continue to revert to these, shut, these, these massive shutdowns. If you look what happened with oil prices last week, they actually came down about 25%. A big part of that's because China started saying they might have to shut down Shanghai, they might have to shut down other cities. And these markets react like this because then they think that demand might shrink up. So we need to have stability. Mm-hmm. We need to know that these governments are not going to overreact like they did over the last two years. That's over the shorter term. Longer term, Western powers the United States included, they need to stop this war on fossil fuels because this war on fossil fuels means that longer term we're going to have less supply. And our Biden administration, our own EIA, our energy administration, they project that we're going to see growing fossil fuel use through 2050. For us to be shrinking supply at a time we know the use is going to expand, that is a tax on American consumers sure. that we're going to pay, not just this year, but decades going forward.
0: Ah, well, we're going to keep going here, folks. We have uh, questions coming in. We have comments coming in. We love them. We'll read them. We'll get to them. Um, Patrick on Facebook. This is such a great one. I had this one written down as well. Patrick, you and I are simpatico on this one. I think states should reduce taxes on gas. I think it would help. And I think he's right,
1: <laughs> personally. Uh, Well, there's been a lot of talk about these gas tax holidays. And, and yes, gas taxes are a significant um, part of our fuel costs, but actually um, small compared to the price hikes due to this um, diminishment of supply. So if a state were to get rid of the gas tax, um, well, they're going to have to get those taxes from elsewhere. So net-net, you're still going to end up paying that tax. That's where the focus really should be – on how do we get more supply, having more supplies is what point. significantly yeah. lowers its cost. When we've seen prices of the yeah. last year from $2 to four fifty, yep. that's not because gas taxes went up. Most states did not see an increase in the gas tax. Mm-hmm. That doubling in the price didn't come from the gas tax. Right. It came from governments shutting down economies right. and the war on fossil fuel that Biden has engaged in.
0: Yeah. Well, I tell you what, this has been just an incredible uh, season for me. Like I said, you know, when I when I go to the pump and when I, you know, fill up and I, I say, well, can I go ten more dollars, or is that going to break the budget for this month? I start to I start to really realize that these policies and these decisions and this posture that's coming from Washington D.C. is real consequence for real people, and and I I wanted to to, to ask you this because I think this is a premise that we might. Um, avoid sometimes in order to make a broader point on policy. Can you t- talk to the fact we hear we need to become energy independent? Well, from what I can tell, we've got a lot of energy. We've got a lot of ability to be that way. Would you say we are energy independent already? Well, actually, yeah. In
1: 2020 and 2021, we became a net oil um, oil products exporter okay. for the first time yeah. since 1949. Yeah. So we became in effect energy independent. Hmm. Um, but that's not enough. Um, we still have increased demand for energy. We have a growing economy. We, need a, we all want a better standard of living. Mm-hmm. So for us, even if we're energy independent, we shouldn't be suppressing the supply. Let's produce more because mm-hmm. we'll use it. We'll see prices come down. When prices come down, we can use more, which is a good thing. Yeah. Think about this. It means you can actually have a lower, we can turn our air on. We can run our heat better. We can take that trip that we wanted to take. We can take that flight to vacation. Mm -hmm. The more we produce, the more we can use. It's not enough just to be independent. Let's use more. And the left is always talking about ways that we can conserve. Let's keep our thermostats down in the winter. Let's keep our thermostats up in the summer. Let's not take that visit-to-visit grandma. Let's not take that family vacation to Disney. No. How about we produce more and more and more so that we can actually do all these extra things that we want to do? And second of all, Mm. the more that we produce, if we produce more than we use, it's a global marketplace. We can sell that. Our right. businesses can benefit. We can hire more people in those fields. And it helps our national security because if we can have Germany, if we can have France importing yes. our energy instead of Russia's, that's going to mean that they can stand up to Russian aggression and Chinese aggression in the future.
0: Hmm. That's good. Well, we, yeah, we have Canada, uh, who we, we said earlier, they didn't realize it was live Love the conversation you guys are having. Keep up the good work. Canada, thank you so much for that. We we do this because we love to interact with you. And, yes, we are live. Anything can happen, Joel. I'm glad the, those <laughs> under house arrest are watching us. It's the house it's, know, <laughs> yeah, arrest. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's um, well, great. Well, folks, this is, and I think we're going to call it here. I I am so grateful for all the interaction we've had today. Joel, I'm so grateful for you being willing to take it, being willing to be on the cuff, on the on the on on your heels. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you for all the those questions, those
1: questions uh, definitely keep us on our it's heels. It's
0: fantastic, man. It's so good. Well, we have a good audience. I mean, it's really what it is. I mean, people are tuning in and they're hungry for information. They're hungry to interact as well. So it's, it's really good. So thanks again for watching, folks. Thank you, Joel. And next time, we'll see you next time. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Heritage Explains Live. Again, I've linked to all the resources that built out that conversation. There's a lot of it there. And there's a lot more to know, too. So please head over to the show notes. And also, you can see us do that live on video. The links are there. And remember, later this week, we will have a brand new episode of the Heritage Explains podcast, your old favorite. So please Make sure that you download that. And if you're not subscribed, please subscribe to the Heritage Explains podcast anywhere you listen. Be sure to rate us five stars, or you can also leave us a nice comment. Let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We'll catch you next time.
1: Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher with editing by John Pop